1: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mix Club page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com.
0: Hello and welcome to Third Waves. Third is an intersectional publication celebrating culture, heritage, and diversity. And on Third Waves, we will do the same.
2: I am Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third.
3: I'm Daniela, I'm a writer, musician, and producer at Third.
0: And I'm Tribe, DJ, radio host, and music editor at Third.
3: Happy New Year and welcome back to Third Waves. It's January, and many people will be doing dry January or at least some kind of detox after the holiday period. So it felt like a perfect time to talk about a topic that has really taken our interest in this moment the topic of alcohol. From making bars and events more inclusive by having a broader non-alcoholic menu, to less than 1% craft beers, to the multitude of damaging effects of alcohol and how the threshold of qualifying as an alcoholic is actually much lower than people would like to think.
2: We will hear from two guests, Lauren McQuiston and James Morris. Lauren is the originator of Instagram account Brutal Recovery, a brutally honest and funny ode to recovering from alcoholism through memes. She is also a Scottish soprano singer living in America. When she's not singing, she is a writer and researcher with interests that include the effects of trauma on the singing voice and substance abuse in the music industry. James is an alcohol addiction and behavioural change specialist. He is a PhD student and his research focuses on understanding the effects of problem framing related to alcohol addiction. He is the director of the Alcohol Academy a social enterprise set up to promote skills and learning development and has been involved in a number of alcohol policy and advisory groups, including the World Health Organization.
3: Um, so it is January. Are either of you doing Dry January this year or have you ever done it?
2: Um, I have actually never actually done dry January to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm not someone who drinks loads. But um last year I probably I realised probably stepped into a pub more times than I ever have in my life. Yeah. I probably drunk the most do you know what I mean? Like yeah, and, yeah I probably drunk the most than I than I ever had. Interesting. So um maybe this year is a good time
0: to do it. Do you know as a DJ? Drinking kind of comes hand in hand. Like hmm. we, we were talking the other day about sometimes in particular moments in history, for example, in South Africa and stuff, the tox tox system, uh, people get paid in alcohol. And whilst I don't get paid in alcohol, it almost comes as part of the perks. Like we're going to give you a drink to go with your DJing. Um, and that's just part of what mm. the package is. You realize that kind of adds up and starts to creep up. If you're DJing two, three times a week. And you're drinking two, three, four drinks in a night. So I did have a couple of moments this year where I was like, "I'm drunk," and I didn't intend to be drunk, but it's just happened. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I think I I'm gonna definitely keep an eye on that this year.
3: Do you feel like um when you're DJing and there are like other DJs for the night, obviously you're on the set. Yeah. Um. Is it a thing in amongst DJs in January? People are like, oh, actually, I'm not drinking this month, or not really.
0: Um. I don't think I've heard many DJs going, I'm, I'm not going to drink this month. Uh, it's interesting because I, I did a recent DJ skit where it's called Beats and Liquor. And every time you mess up the mix, you take a shot. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs>
0: it's amazing. It's amazing. It but sounds like it's going to
3: get worse, really. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. It, it was a very good experience. Um, but it, it does make you kind of think about how entwined alcohol is to the nightlife and as a dj that's kind of part of it Mm,
3: mm. what about Um, you daniela yeah i i've never done dry january and i i think i'm not really into this thing of like giving up something entirely for a period of time thing i think i don't really like to like this kind of categorical way of like doing stuff it just doesn't really mix with me Mm. um because i just i think i just would find it too difficult or like that teenage rebellion thing of like oh but now i really want i really want it so like i don't do lent as well, obviously, like, not not because I'm not religious, but again, just because, like, I don't know. It's just don't, I don't really get it Like when people are like, oh, I'm not going to do this for this amount of time. N- like, to- like just I just mean that it doesn't really work for me. Mm. Um, but I what I do quite like about these kind of things, like dry January or whatnot, is the fact that it does make you... I think it's a really good thing that mm. if people talk about it and think about it, because it does make you think, oh, because just like you did just now, you're like, oh, I don't really drink that much, so it's not like I've never really thought about it or, like, needing to do that kind of like intentional detox from alcohol but you know that people think about it more by having almost like this vocabulary like the fact that this is like soundbite out there called dry january you're like oh what's that i'm gonna think about it etc and i think it's definitely definitely a good thing
2: yeah i agree with you i think um also through looking into things like dry january this whole idea of sober curiosity which is super on the wave at the moment I oh, found out about that, that for the first time so basically being sober curious is not drinking so when you're actively I mean another word I would have used for it is
0: teetotal but I think when you're sober curious you're also um, it's a lifestyle choice for you oh, so it's like exploring the idea of how removing alcohol from your life may have you know a positive effect so it's like you're kind of questioning it and yeah, exploring it.
2: definitely I think it's uh, it's like Trying to abstain, build your lifestyle around abstaining from alcohol, mm. um, and I think one of the kind of interesting thing that I that I can see the sober curious movement almost doing is like creating spaces, um, and like like I was just talking about how much this year I've entered a pub, like pubs are generally like drinking spaces, yeah, um, and they're like sober curiosity is definitely creating like social spaces mm. where alcohol is like not attached to yeah. what is happening there. Um, so an example of this is that there was like the Clean Vic sort of pop-up pub, mm. which is the first um, non-alcoholic pub that um, I think it was uh, launched at some point. I think it was maybe like over two weeks or something like that. Um, but it was like a non-alcoholic pub, social experiment that sort of was put on to almost... Um, provide sober curious people with a place to go and socialise. Still, people seem to really have turned out and, and quite enjoyed, you know, like and quite enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's, I think just it seems to be like a reaction to the fact that so many so many spaces are alcohol fueled. Yeah, so that's true. Um, like pubs are a great example, but also night like nightclubs. Yeah, are usually like drink goes hand in hand with going going out and like. Enjoying nightlife and stuff like that, um, yeah. So like all these alternatives are coming up. I think I even saw like a roller disco that was like also sober curious.
0: Um, you know, I never <laughs> thought about alcohol and <laughs> roller disco. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I saw, saw some a exactly. that you can't drink. Yeah,
2: I saw some crazy things. Um, kind of cool.
3: Did you? Did, who is behind the sober curious movement? Do that's you know? a good question. Is, um, it, is it young people? Is it? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that's what's interesting about sober curiosity. Is, is it's really something that has formed as a reaction to the fact that more young people are more health conscious now. So less people are wanting to go out and get lashed. That mm. is just like a, a fact. And so Sober Curiosity is maybe like, I don't know whether it started via Instagram, mm. but it's definitely become like this positive, uh, non-drinking hashtag that has like made people who also don't want to drink find each other. Mm. And there are loads of people who are like at the forefront to it, like inst- as you can imagine, like influencers and etc. Um But what I almost quite like about it is that if I reflect back to when I was younger, um, yet again, not really drinking was kind of like a strange thing. A hundred percent. And like people would always be like, why are you not drinking? Do you know what I mean? Like almost like explain to me why you're not drinking. Yeah. Um, And also
3: like peer pressure of like, oh, it's my birthday. Why aren't you drinking? Like like, a real killjoy or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I
2: think like the sober curiosity amusement is a really positive thing about that is that it's like changing that narrative and it's actually just being like, actually, we don't want to drink. Um, Yeah.
0: What I think is quite interesting is also the relationship you have with alcohol can be produced by your influence of your parents. For example, in my family, it was always kind of natural on Christmas just to have a little bit of, like, wine or something like that. Mm. Um, As a kid, like, just, oh, try this or a little bit of Guinness. But it was never kind of created as a... A special thing it oh. was never such a big deal so by the time i turned 18 it was never like now i can finally drink it was always like oh yeah that that thing okay that's yeah that's alcohol you know like oh like that's yeah. a banana um so when i went to uni i never felt like that was something i was particularly drawn to mm. to get drunk
3: that sounds like a really healthy approach mm. Mm. yeah
2: i also find it interesting i i mean i personally cannot stand beer like, Is it? Okay, yeah, okay. I don't really like beer. I've yeah. never finished a can of anything. Yeah. Um, that could also be down to the fact that like maybe the first drink that was sort of like offered to me by my family was like Guinness by my dad. <laughs> yeah. So I mean? It's Guinness, isn't so it? So maybe I was just like <laughs> totally uncool. So yeah. It tastes bitter. Nah. Yeah. But like obviously like sweeter like drinks, like I love Serrano, mm, do you know what mm. I mean? Um, and gin and etc. So they were all these sort of like culinary Benefits to alcohol, I guess,
0: and that well. and that's what I think is also another interesting point. Um, people drinking because they enjoy the taste of alcohol and the cocktails and the mixes, and those who drink with the aim of getting slaughtered and completely smashed, you know, mm. and whatever can get them to that position fast enough, it's.
2: There's also a thing about, like, thresholds. Mm. And maybe, like, sometimes you think your limit is somewhere and actually, like, it's
3: you have way past it.
2: Yes. You know? Yes.
3: Um, I just wanted to go back to something you said earlier about this um, the, the TOT system in South Africa. Is that a historical thing? I, I don't really know what it is.
0: So during the colonial period, when Afrikaans uh, people kind of dominated politically, economically, over the South African population, and put them into certain working positions where they would be paid in alcohol. And um, this has continued to influence the uh, townships and the people, the South African people, in the sense of, like, it made them more affiliated with alcohol instead of money being exchanged for their labour. It created a dynamic uh, where alcohol becomes something that is highly valued. Yeah. And it also has a side effect as we know of destroying communities yeah so in this period um where the uh, people the colored people of south africa were being paid in alcohol there was a lot of destruction in the Mm -hmm. community Uh, and it wasn't just south africa you know you hear stories of the aboriginal people in australia the native americans um yeah so it it throughout history uh in recent times anyway communities have been paid in alcohol which kind of makes you question the why alcohol became something that was valued and how it it is something that can be valued all right the next track is by a band called salt and the song's called tiptoe Hello. Good
1: afternoon. Hi. Hi.
0: So uh, I'm just hearing about you and what you do. And I was just wondering, what is your backstory? And if you're okay to talk about why you started Brutal Recovery?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I, like many uh, Scottish women, people from the UK started drinking very young. It was a very uh, socially accepted thing. It was, I remember, like, you know, going to... Uh, like gigs and shows and there would always be like little bar of like blue wickets and stuff and I would be about you know 13 14 you get someone older to buy it for you and everything that made me nervous about being social and being shy and being a little bit different just disappeared Mm. so I learned from an extremely young age that if I was ever uncomfortable uh, I could drink alcohol And I would feel instantly better. Um, You know, I've talked to so many other people that struggle with alcohol and they describe like their first kiss or their first flirtation like happening after their drinks. So, you know, in our young developing brains, we uh, equate alcohol with success and social success. So I did that for a very, very long time. And uh, being in a country with so much drinking culture, I never knew that it wasn't normal. Um, so and then uh, I went to uni. I went to a uh, school in Glasgow, and you know the first thing you get at school is is Freshers Week, and Freshers Week is what is the most you can drink for the least amount of money. Um, I don't know if England they have the the tactical whitey, which is like you make yourself sick before you go out so you can drink more when you're out. Like
0: that's
1: no, what? <laughs> that's next level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, you, know, you know, you're know, you like uh, pre-drinking with all of your friends and then you're like, oh, uh, like I have clearly drank too much. One minute, I'm just going to go tactical and then I can like go out with you. So, oh. so like I, I was that girl, you know, and underneath I was still this just really, really, really shy person. And I just desperately wanted people to like me. And I was in this like school situation and everyone just seemed so much cooler than me. Like I'm, fr- I'm from a farm from the southwest of Scotland. So like in my head, I am the least cool person of all time. Um, but when I drank like oh it was like a, I'm also I'm a performer and it gave me the thrill of performance so I could be this uh really cool interesting funny person uh and then I started to realize uh about in my later years of uni that my drinking wasn't normal um i you know, had a couple of, you know, hospital visits, like I got my stomach pumps and everything and no one ever you know, there there was kind of that whole like, oh, you know, spent all money on you know, you spend your money on shots, then take your taxi money on shots, then take the ambulance home like oh. legend. <laughs> uh and I was like, Yeah, of course like I, <laughs> you know, can drink more than anyone else. That means I'm a legend. So I've got a friend uh, who says, I thought I was a legend, but it turns out it was just a liability. Mm. Um, and that is, that is what I drove myself into. So
0: Were people found... encouraging you? Um, like the people you were uh, yeah. drinking with and just the general kind of social kind of surroundings that you were in?
1: Aha. Uh-huh. It, it just very much is the, 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 the drinking culture of young people in the UK. Uh, uh, so like as I, uh, you know, it, it stopped becoming fun. And people started to worry about me. Um, I was very high functioning. Like I would always make class the next day. I'd always pass my exams, never missed a rent check. Uh, That, you know, that level of high functioning with a hangover is an indication that you have a problem with drinking, that you can pull it together so hard the next day so that you can maintain your level of drinking. Uh, and, And someone pointed that out to me and you know i I felt attacked i I felt just like how dare like look in the mirror like when you're pointing us three fingers pointing back at you like and i would then that's when i started to control everyone else's drinking i wanted everyone else to be drinking more than i was uh so i turned the enabling on other people so that i could kind of hide my own drinking and i'd be uh i would always have like you know the, the drinking that I do with people. and I would always have, like, my little secret stash in my purse just in case i never had enough to reach, like, the complete oblivion I was looking for. Um, my, my story gets a little bit more intense when I go to America. I live in America now, uh, hence I'm sadly not in the studio with you today. Um, but with, uh, you know, alcoholics, we have the term geographical, where you, like, change yourself, change your surroundings completely to escape your drinking. Mm. You think that changing the... Circumstances you're in will fix everything. Uh, And I kind of, you know, I went to America for school, but I also kind of thought that, oh, because when I move, like everything will be okay. And I'll stop needing to like drink myself to oblivion every night and I'll stop needing, I'll I'll stop feeling shy. Like people will like me instantly and I won't have to worry about anything. Um, That is never the case, (laughs) that Mm. never happens. so I like to say that when I got to America, I went into berserker mode. Like, it just got so much worse. It, it compounded on itself. The the new stresses of this new life uh, made me just seek that oblivion even more. Like, I was foreign, so people uh, were, you know, quite intrigued by that. And I could easily say, like, oh, I'm from, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm from Scotland. Like, this is just what we all do. Um, and no, no one questioned it. Uh, again, like, I've got myself into that situation where I made made my drinking a fun little character trait as opposed to something that was you know born of trauma and discomfort that I was using to hide um so I eventually you know it eventually caught up with me um I woke up one morning and I couldn't breathe like I felt like I couldn't get a full inhalation so I went to the doctors and I said like oh I think I have asthma like can you test me for asthma um and they were like sorry mate like there's, there's nothing wrong with your breathing and I was like well I I can't breathe like I'm shaking I'm I'm trembling like I I don't know what's wrong with me um and that's when they told me that I was experiencing withdrawal and I I, I couldn't believe them. Like uh Again, I used to then like, oh, I don't have a problem with alcohol. Like from Scotland, like it's fifty percent of my blood. Like that's just <laughs> how I am. Uh, <laughs> and saying and believing that probably means you have a problem with alcohol. Um, so. Uh, and then I, I went to an addiction specialist uh, at my new school and she, you know, confirmed what they were saying and uh, she made me uh, sample abstinence. And after sampling abstinence, uh, she was like, just give it a month, like, try a month where you don't drink. Like, it's going to be hard, but, like, I think that you're going to notice a difference. And I kind of was like, ha, like, sure, lady. Like, I can't wait to prove you wrong, that, you know, I can keep going as I'm going. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, like, when I realised uh, how much of my life was completely dictated by getting my first drink and staying on that level for the whole day. Um, yeah, and then uh, I got to about a year sober. That no, wasn't a year, it was about nine months sober. And I was sick of it it was christmas and i was just like i hate this like everyone's out there having a really nice time and here's me like with my little you know sparkly water like resentful and just I, i was like how does everyone else get to enjoy this and not me like poor me um so i went onto instagram and for the first time in my life sobriety instagram pages came up on my explorer this has never happened to me before um And the first ones I saw were all pages that were women doing yoga on a beach, talking about how grateful they were to be sober. And I was like, "Fuck, yeah, feel sick." (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, And then there was also uh, humorous pages making jokes about what they were like in active addiction, and I was like, "Oh, that," but also not because. I do have space for gratitude in my life and I do have space for love in my life. So I was like, I want to find a space in the middle here. Mm -hmm. I want to find a space where I can be extremely grateful and love my sobriety. And I also want to have, uh, irreverent humor and sarcasm. Like I I want to incorporate those parts of my character into this, uh, and then I was like, well, if I can't find it, I'm just going to do it. So so long story short, that's why um, that's why I started the page, because I wanted to find that middle ground in sobriety where you can be extremely grateful, but also a little bit flippant and sarcastic.
0: Yeah, that wow. makes sense.
2: Thank you so much for sharing your story yeah. with us. Um,
1: oh, my pleasure.
2: I think a lot of people can connect to aspects of it or even, you know, the whole story as well. Um, going back to starting uh, Brutal recovery I love the page and I i mean I'm not someone who is in recovery but I can relate to the sort of like caustic humor the mm. self-depreciating nature of it and I think it's amazing how like if I compare it to other sort of accounts I've seen which are like uh, sober conscious and etc this one definitely seems to push the female experience more right um, I mean you've got things on there right, talking about like periods, um, dating, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um there's one I have in front of me and it's a picture of Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And Lady Gaga it says like me nine gins in feeling validated because a man told me I could handle my drink. And then um Bradley Cooper's like some predator that's watched me get fucked up since I was in this bar since I was underage. I mean I can certainly like relate at least to that. Do you know mm. what I mean? Or having seen that. Um, Yes, I wanted to talk to you about like bringing in the female experience into into through your means
1: yeah, absolutely so uh, I really wanted to be sure that from the get go I was uh, incorporating the female experience because when I was looking throughout like the, the you know the the main pages that existed, a lot of the humor was at the expense of women. I'm not saying these aren't issues men face as well uh, I'm just you know sharing my experience as as a woman uh, and that it's more prevalent uh, numbers-wise, in women. So um, there's certain things that, that women experience in higher numbers, such as uh, childhood sexual trauma, uh, date rape, uh, eating disorders, um, and the uh, the idea that we have to keep up with this male society. So I know so many women that want to drink on the same level as men, because in the past, you know, However many years, socially, women have been trying to be the equals of men. So that that does, like, you know, uh, reflect in our drinking. There's so many aspects of, like, the, the machismo uh, culture that hurts both men and women. Uh, you know, I, I tried a careful line here, but my experience from being a drinker and from research is that when a man has a drink in his hand he is a lot safer than a woman with a drink in her hand. Mm. Um, Alcohol is the number one date rape drug, and it's a huge risk factor for women, especially young women. People that uh, have a problem with drinking, the comorbidity with trauma is 100%, and a lot of the, the trauma that women face that we can't talk about is reflected in my drinking for sure. So I want women to know that, you know, they're seen and we have this like firmly uh, stitched together lattice of very female specific trauma. Um, And I I just really, really want it to be visible. And I really want people to know that that really ugly thing about you that you feel is ugly and like unspeakable that comes out when you've got a vodka coke in your hands. I feel that too. And, and it's okay. And like, we can talk about that. Um, and as well, like the, the period stuff, uh, I, I, t- mm-hmm. I talk about that all the time. <laughs> uh, I've spent, I've spent my whole life uh, with uh, PMDD, like really, and, and really, really bad PMS. And I, I become an unrecognizable person during <laughs> that time. And, you know, when you're working a, a process of recovery where you're trying to be, you know, the same level-headed, uh, happy, joyous, free person, and you have this monthly event that turns you into an unrecognisable person, like, I, I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> that's that, that something for people who menstruate, and are, I, I've i never... I've not seen a single platform where that's been talked about, so I'm going to be that person. <laughs> nice. yeah, amazing.
0: And what has your response been um, to your posts on uh, Brutal Recovery? How have people re- reacted to it in general?
1: I think my my favourite response... That is very frequent um, is people my age, uh, young women my age saying, you know, I didn't think that I could be in recovery before I found your account. They were like, in every recovery space, I never saw someone that looked like me or uh, identified with my experience. Or, so, you know, we, we see alcoholism as and, and problems with alcohol is this uh, older man thing. And uh, when you're a young woman, it's a fun, happy thing. Like it's uh, um, it's something that we we get alcohol marketed to us in this very feminine, sexy way. So if you're drinking again on on the level of men, uh, and you're drinking for this to be accepted, it's 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 okay because you've not met that bar of what people consider for someone to have a problem with alcohol. So my favorite response is when I say like, uh, "Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm 26. Uh, I'm just graduated out of school, and I cannot drink like a normal person. So for I-, I needed that person when I was younger, like when I was in uni and I was like crying by myself in my residence, like shot in whiskey." I needed that person that was like, by the way, like, you also can have a problem with alcohol. Like, this isn't normal. Um, So that's probably my favorite response. Um, And, you know, a lot lot of people, they they message me with their uh, with their achievements. You know, people will be like, oh, I got like 15 days sober. I haven't got that since I was 13. And I saw like, uh, you know, people like myself were seeing these very grateful, graceful women saying the best things about their sobriety. And I I wanted to be that person that's saying, yeah, my sobriety is the favourite thing in my life, but also here's how it sucks. And it sucked so hard. And here's what I did yeah. that, that made it feel better. Yeah. And it's just that full rounded experience that I want to portray. So when people say to me, like, I needed to see that for me to get to this point in my recovery just makes it all worthwhile, like really, really, really worthwhile. You know, I, I say like my first line in my bio is brutally honest recovery. Like it it just it just comes straight from a place of uh, transparency uh, and it makes me think of how much I was covering up when I was drinking and like I was getting lost in my lies and then have to keep up with the lies and the lies that I was putting on top of the other lies, like just stripping all of that back and being, you know, so honest has been, it's just been so amazing. Um, th-
3: there is another question that I really want to ask you about because you're an um, uh, amazing opera singer and this, this thing about uh, performance obviously plays a big part in medicative... Behavior, um, I think people outside of the music industry, especially outside of the classical music industry, wouldn't wouldn't necessarily expect that people are potentially drinking before performances or taking beta blockers mm-hmm. to deal with their anxiety. And so, I'd yeah. love to hear you speak a little bit about how that sort of basically work environment has encouraged or been unhelpful uh, to to your story. Yeah, um,
1: there's there's this idea that alcohol is. In just intrinsically linked with the ideas of celebration and sophistication and uh, high achievement. And I found very early on in an opera career that, you know, when you go to one of these uh, events, the first thing you get is a glass of champagne put in your hand. And uh, I, I, that really reiterated to me that like, oh, to be in this industry, I need to drink. Like, we're, we're always told that if you're not networking, like, what are you doing? Like, where do you network? You network at the bar, you network at these events where it's just very, very alcohol fueled. And yeah. we view music and opera as this luxury product. And the other luxury product we have in society is alcohol. So they've, they've always gone hand in hand on on the industry level. Um, and on the personal level, uh, opera singers and musicians in general, uh, we have always been given this idea that to be successful at what we do we need to be at the very least a teeny tiny bit tormented we need this level of mm. pain inside us that drives us to be these wild creatives that we are and I used to believe that to be the wild creative that I was mm. I needed to be drunk I needed uh, that when I was drinking it unleashed the side of myself that I was scared to show the world. And that was hand in hand with my performance um and the the things that people would uh you know compliment me for like being being brave and being wild and you know coloring outside the lines i was like well i can't have that unless i'm drinking um and then you know we we put alcohol in with celebration and con- uh, commiseration so if something goes well like hey pub if it goes badly like oh let's like have a few yeah
3: um
1: and it it just fed itself. It just really uh, compounded on itself. And that's uh, the more people I speak to in the industry. Like, I never spoke about this before I got sober. And now, like, when I'm at these events and I'm, like, you know, with my fizzy water and people people will ask questions, they'll be scandalised that I'm not drinking at these events. Uh, and, you know, I won't go, like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and I'm so shy and, like, blah, 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 Like, I'll just say, like, oh, you know, it didn't mix well with me. And people then people will, like, lean in and say, like oh my God, like, I'm, I'm really struggling. Like, mm. why do you have to drink to be in this career? Like, and that, that's happened so much. Like, um, they're, they're not necessarily alcoholics, but you don't have to be an addict or an alcoholic to have a problem with drinking.
0: Mm. A question about environment. Have you found that the culture in the UK is more extreme or less extreme in comparison to to the U.S. and have you seen any changes in, for example, you're talking about how you've kind of disclosed in certain spaces. Oh, yeah, I, I don't drink alcohol. Have you seen over time maybe people's responses being a bit different in terms of maybe more friendlier, more accepting, more understanding of
1: it? Yeah, like uh, that. That's such a great question. So the the main thing that uh, I've noticed is uh, the. The difference in age of drinking is, uh, you know, we can drink when we're 18 in America, they wait till the 21. So for someone in America to be underage drinking at a very, very young age, mm. that's a very, very extreme thing. So all of the extreme stories that I've heard over here that, you know, they're, they're ashamed to say and they're ashamed to say, uh, they started drinking at the same time I was drinking when it was acceptable. Um, our underage drinking is different from their underage mm. drinking. Mm. Um, that that's probably the so like but that means that when people get to college when when they're like you know in their in their eight their late teens early twenties they're exposed to this world they've never been exposed for and on top of college stress like they just go absolutely wild, so that was kind of the main difference uh I think that the the weirdest thing about being a Scottish person in America is as soon as I open my mouth and they hear my accent. The first thing they assume is that I'm a drinker. They will, That's they will say, yeah, yeah. It's it's so the most interesting thing about being a sober Scottish woman is for me to be sober. People think I've like kind of given up a part of my identity mm-hmm. as as a Scottish woman. And like, <laughs> I mean, there there is so much more to Scotland. Like, whiskey <laughs> yeah. so is a beautiful part of Scotland. Love that, but like. Um, you know, it's like we invented pen, like, penicillin and stuff, and I'm not going to go around and say, like, well, actually, like... Oh, Let <laughs> yeah, me this. educate it's you. Like, <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's so funny that, like, to be Scottish, I have to be a drinker. Um, so seeing that in another country really illuminated me as to uh, how we view drinking in Scotland. And mm. I'm, I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm seeing more more of my friends in Scotland uh, be sober, like, for, for their health. And they're, they're facing similar things, but it's becoming largely more accepted from from my perspective.
2: Um, Lauren, one thing I really love about Brutal Recovery is that on the Instagram, through the memes, you definitely show recovery is not this like simple, straightforward journey that you go through. Um, mm-hmm. You show the highs and the lows, you know what I mean? The struggles. Um, if you were to give advice to any person, really, or young girl struggling or, you know, attempting to begin their recovery or on the journey of their recovery, what would it be?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. So um, so I I think uh, being uh, a female-specific point I would make is uh, women are more likely to quit something if they don't get it perfect. Mm. So we we are chasing perfection in everything we do. Um, So that's why... I, you know, I, I portray myself as a very imperfect person. Um, so I, I would say to, to that woman, uh, you know, you do not have to be perfect. Uh, if you set yourself a sobriety goal or a recovery goal and you don't immediately achieve that on your timeline, please do not give up. It is not a permanent stain against your name. Like I relapsed at least 10 times before I achieved, uh, you know, 10 months and uh, it would be really easy for me to say well you know I'm just going to relapse again but like all that told me is that I just found so many ways that didn't work for me before I found a way that worked for me so I would say that persistence is key Um, I would also say community like even if you have one person that you identify with that is also on a similar journey of recovery have that person find that person like it doesn't matter if their recovery journey looks exactly like yours or nothing like yours if you have that thing in common that you want to free yourself of uh you know your 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 the grasp of alcohol then you you always have each other and I'm, I'm so lucky that I have people that I really identify with around me that if I'm ever in that moment of uh you know severe anxiety or I've got a case of the fuck it's like I can call that person and say like I, I'm I'm struggling and it's so okay to say you're struggling um and I you know I'd also say that it gets really hard like your first month is like you're walking without skin but it grows back mm-hmm. and the what you rebuild is just so worth it Uh, This next
0: track that I selected is Kendrick Lamar's Swimming Pools. It's the first track that came to mind when we discussed that we were going to do alcohol. um, And it's released from his 2012 album, Good Kid, Mad City. And it talks about his grandfather's um, alcoholism and also relates it to the social pressures that ordinary people face when drinking. Mm.
2: And some news about Third. So we launched our first range of limited edition tees and hoodies, which went down really well. To keep posted about our next drop, please make sure to follow us on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Third Waves. Remember to stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's third with three eyes. I am Rona. I'm Daniela. And I'm Tribe.